Again? I'm not preaching today unless y'all want me to. I mean, just... No? Okay. All right, well, this morning we are welcoming our, our brother and a friend of our pastor, uh, Larry Sprinkle, to bring the message this morning. Uh, as you notate in your bulletin there, he... Uh, he and many of his family members have served for a long time in our community, uh, bringing God's message. Uh, and so this morning, as he uh, comes to share with you, uh, just be in prayer and have open hearts to the good word that uh, his message will bring to us today. Larry? I understand that Charlie tried to have my grandfather back once not too long ago, didn't he? Sandy and I are delighted to be with you today. We're in an age we're delighted to be anywhere, but we're especially delighted to be with you today and to have the opportunity of worshiping with you. I want to thank Charlie for the invitation to come and share with you. I know that you do know, and I hope you will let him know how you appreciate him as your pastor. It's wonderful to have someone that has served you for over 30 years, that has fed you from the pulpit, has ministered to you and your needs, has been there when you needed him, that kind of person is getting to be rather unique in our society anymore, so you are far blessed more than you realize you are. I've had a real education in retirement as to what's taking place in pastoral ministries, and I won't tell you it's not what it used to be. So uh, I hope that you will uh, know how blessed you are to have Charlie and Jane here serving with you. Bill, I want to thank you for your music and for your choir, and the young lady did the solo. That, the music was wonderful. In a lot of the churches we've been in retirement, the music was rather dull, not very uplifting. And your music's got life in it. And I told my wife when we were singing, I said, I like that. He won't let you sleep under his music. So I'm, I'm grateful for that. I appreciate that. It was very worshipful. Charlie called me two or three weeks ago. And, you know, I'm at the point in my life, I don't believe in chance anymore. For whatever reason, the Holy Spirit moved in Charlie's mind and heart to call me. So I feel like I am here today by divine appointment. I didn't choose to be here at that point. Charlie extended situation, the invitation, which I accepted. And after having talked with him, my first thing that I did was to try to get in touch with my Heavenly Father to see what I was to share with you today. And in my prayer, I told the Lord, I said, I'm going to people that I do not know, and they do not really know me. And so I need to know what you want me to share. After all, I'm just your messenger boy. And so I need to know the message that I'm to share with those folks. And so the message that God laid on my heart is found in Acts chapter 11, if you'll turn there in your Bibles. It's rather simple, and most of the information you already know, but at the same time, I want to probe your heart a little bit. I was preaching in an interim, and the Lord, in a particular service, just impressed on me just to preach a simple salvation message, and in that service, I felt really strong that someone needed to respond, but nobody responded. On Monday night, my telephone rang, and I had a call from a man. And he said, you remember making a statement on Sunday that somebody needed to respond? He said, well, I want to tell you, he said, I was that person. That man was 75 years old. He was a deacon in that church, but he got saved. And I baptized him. So the Lord's teaching me that we don't ever assume 
that people are saved. We may be in church looking our best. It doesn't mean we're saved. So if you have your Bibles open, Acts chapter 11, stand with me. I want to read these verses and have a word of prayer. Beginning in verse 19. Scripture says, Now they which were scattered abroad upon the persecution that arose about Stephen traveled as far as Phoenice and Cyprus and Antioch, preaching the word to none but unto the Jews only. Some of them were men of Cyrene and Cyprus, which when they were come to Antioch spake unto the Grecians preaching the Lord Jesus. And the hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number believed and turned unto the Lord. Then tidings of these things came unto the ears of the church which was in Jerusalem. That phrase has always interested me. I never thought about church having ears, did you? Tidings of these things came unto the ears of the church which was in Jerusalem, and they sent forth Barnabas that he should go as far as Antioch, who, when he came and had seen the grace of God, was glad and exhorted them all that with purpose of heart they would cleave unto the Lord. For he was a good man and full of the Holy Ghost and of faith, and much people were added unto the Lord. Then departed Barnabas to Tarsus for to seek Saul. And when he had found him, he brought him unto Antioch. And it came to pass that a whole year they assembled themselves with the church and taught much people. And the disciples were called Christians first in Antioch. And that is the statement that the Lord laid on my heart. The disciples were called Christians first in Antioch. Father, I thank you for this day, for this place, for this moment, this opportunity. I pray that the Holy Spirit will speak through me. I pray that you'll empower your word. That you will speak to our hearts and our minds. Help us to examine ourselves. And if there is decisions that need to be made in our life, I pray you'll give us the grace and strength. To make those decisions. And most of all, Lord, I pray that you will honor and glorify yourself through your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Be seated, if you will. You know, we've gathered today, and most of us, if probably not all of us in this congregation today, would refer to ourselves as Christians. We accept that terminology freely. I don't know how much we think about what that word means or the implications of it. But we do refer to ourselves as Christians. I got to thinking about that and the origin of that word and what it really reflected. It's common use today. But you know, the first use of that in the Bible is in this Acts passage. The word Christian is only used three times in the New Testament. It is used once in Acts chapter 28 and verse 26 when Paul is before Agrippa and preaching unto him. And Agrippa said unto him, Almost thou persuadest me to be a Christian. It is found in, on the pen of the Apostle Peter when he was writing to the people of the dispersion in 1 Peter chapter 4. And he he was reminding those people to let none of them suffer as a murderer or as an evildoer. But if any of you suffer as a Christian, let him not be ashamed. And of course, in this passage here, it says that these believers were first called Christians at Antioch. I'd be interested to know why they gave them that name, wouldn't you? 
Because it's obvious that it was not a name that they took unto themselves. These disciples of the Lord Jesus Christ did not refer to themselves as Christians. They referred to themselves as disciples, as believers, sometimes as saints, as brothers and sisters, but never as Christians. The term obviously wasn't given by the Jewish segment because, you know, in their teachings they referred to Messiah as Christus and they would never implicate these believers in Jesus Christ having anything to do with their Messiah. And so it must have been given to them by the Gentile population, by the, the Gentile Jews and so forth, and Jews and Gentiles that were in their, that area. They called them Christians. I don't know if it was a, a compliment or not. I don't know if they were making fun of them. But I think they said more than they realized when they referred to those people as Christians. It, it lets us have an insight into their thinking. They saw something in those people that was different than what they saw in other people. They must have had some little knowledge of Jesus Christ. They, they probably had heard something of the message of Jesus Christ. And there was something about these people that reminded them, at least made them think of Jesus. And so they referred to them as Christians. Christ men. Little Christ. They were acting and talking and conducting themselves just like Jesus. They were Christians. It's interesting how these folk came into Antioch. You know the, the history in Acts that, that Stephen was a, a mighty man in the Word and Stephen was taken and stoned to death. And there was a man holding his garment by the name of Saul of Tarsus. And there was great persecution made upon the church. In Acts 8, 4 it says that they that were scattered upon the persecution went everywhere preaching the word. And then Luke takes a little side road. He, he lets us in and, and tells us about Philip's ministry up in Samaria and down in, in the desert when he met the eunuch. And he lets us in and see the conversion of Saul of Tarsus. And then he lets us in on Peter's ministry in the household of, of uh, Cornelius at Caesarea when he reminded him that God's no respecter of persons. And then he returns. And he says of these individuals, they that were scattered abroad upon the persecution that arose about Stephen's traveled as far as Phoenice, Phoenicia, just a short distance from Palestine on the coast of the Mediterranean. Some of them went to the little island of Cyprus about 40 miles off the coast and they were preaching to none but the Jews only. And then we're told that another group of them were men of Cyprus. That's interesting. Some of these men went to Cyprus preaching and hear people from Cyprus who are going to go to Antioch. Some of them were from Serene, which is in North Africa. And they went into Antioch. And they were preaching unto the Grecians. And they were preaching the Lord Jesus. And as they preached the word and they told about Jesus Christ, the scripture says, the hand of the Lord was with them and a great number believed and turned unto the Lord. That, that news to reach back to Jerusalem. I don't know how long it took it to travel, but not very long. And so they heard that news and they decided they'd better check out what was going. So they selected a man by the name of Barnabas. He, he, his name means he was a son of consolation. He was a spirit-filled man. says that he came to Antioch. And it interests me, it says that he saw the grace of God. He was glad and he saw the grace of God. You ever stop to think about seeing the grace of God? I wonder if the Lord really moved in our midst today. Would you and I have enough spiritual 
endowment about us that we'd recognize that God's grace was being poured out in our midst. Hey, this man came. He, he saw the grace of God. The scripture says he was glad. He saw the grace of God and he exhorted them. He encouraged them with purpose of heart. They would cleave unto the Lord. Said he was a good man, full of the Holy Ghost and faith. And much people was added unto the Lord's. And he found Saul of Tarsus and brought him there. And they were called Christians. It's interesting, isn't it? I wonder what it is. What is essential for me and you to be called Christian in the biblical sense of the term? What does God demand of me in order to bear that? It's not really a name. It's a descriptive term. But in order for me to bear that descriptive phrase and to refer to myself as a Christian... Because, you know, we, we give that name to a lot of people that if you observe their life, they're not really deserving of it. So what does he demand of me? Could I give you three quick words? I ain't never been known to give a quick word in my life, but I'll try to give you a quick word. <clears throat> in my young days, my wife said if I, my mouth is 45 minutes, but I'll try not to do that to you. That would be... That'd be That'd be hard. I think there are three things required of us. And there are many other avenues could be taken. But this is, this is what the Lord kind of says to me. Number one, if we're going to be called Christian, we've got to be saved. The second thing that has to be in our life, there has to be submission to the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. And then the third thing is there has to be servanthood. We are serving the Lord Jesus Christ. Nothing you've not heard before. Charlie's probably preached all of this many times. But you know, if I'm going to be a Christian, it starts with that fact of me being saved. In our Baptist circles, we talk about being born again. Being a new creation. Now, you know, it's obvious that these men had met Jesus, right? I don't know what the circumstances were, but these disciples had come under the influence of the teachings of the Lord Jesus Christ. Maybe they heard Him in person, or they had been present at Pentecost. Likely they were present at Pentecost. Maybe they had heard Stephen as he preached to the Lord Jesus, about the Lord Jesus Christ. And, you know, there had been a response on their part. They had committed themselves to the Lord as their Savior. A similar thing happens in our life. You know, being saved is a two, two-fold thing. It, it's got a human side, it's got a divine side. You know, on the human side, in this salvation process, we hear the gospel, the good news. You've heard it all your life. Christ died for our sins, was buried, rose again the third day. The good news. And we also learn as we hear that good news that we're sinners. The Bible concludes that we're all sinners. We're just, you know, we're all sinners here today. You're either unsaved or a saved sinner, but we're all sinners. Scripture says we've all sinned and come short of the glory of God. All we like sheep have gone astray. We've turned everyone to his own way. The Lord's laid on him the iniquity of us all. We're sinners. We come to that realization in our lives. And as we hear that gospel and that realization is awakened that I have disobeyed God. I'm not what he wants me to be. There comes conviction. That's the ministry of the Holy Spirit in my life. The Holy Spirit comes. He takes that, that message of Jesus and he, he convinces me of sin. Preacher can't convince you of sin. Only the Holy Spirit can do that. 
He convinces of sin and of the need of righteousness because we realize when we see ourselves in light of God that we are very unrighteous people. And he convinces us that judgment is coming. And in that process, faith is awakened within us. Faith comes by hearing the word. And we respond in a positive faith. And God saves us. Now, on the divine side, it says that we're saved by grace. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 is very familiar to all of us. We are saved by grace. God's unmerited faith. We're saved by grace through faith. That not of ourselves. My faith don't save me. My faith is a channel that lets God's grace come in. Saved by grace through faith. That not of ourselves. It's a gift of God. Not of works, lest any man should boast. Now, you know, if we could save ourselves when we got to heaven, everybody would have a band stand. Wouldn't need to stand on and tell how we got there? Well, I'll tell you, in chorus, we're going to sing one thing when we get into heaven. We're going to be singing, it's by the blood of the Lamb that I'm here today, that I've been saved. And so in response to our faith in Jesus, our recognition of our need of Him, God's grace comes in and effects this wonderful miracle. And the Bible says that we're all children of God by faith in Christ Jesus. And you know, when you're saved, we're not just the same old Joe made over again. The Bible says if any man's in Christ, he's a new creation. Old things have passed away, old things have become new. God makes us new. Isn't that wonderful? The starting place in walking with Jesus is to have that personal experience of grace where Jesus Christ becomes the Lord of our life. Scripture says if we confess with our mouth the Lord Jesus and we believe in our heart that God raised Him from the dead, we'll be saved. So you know, if I'm going to be saved, I've got to say something with the mouth and I'm confessing that Jesus is Lord. Believe in my heart that God raised Him from the dead. Do you believe that? I've never seen anybody raised from the dead of you. And yet I believe that Jesus Christ died and rose again. Scripture says that with the heart we believe unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. So it's wonderful. Everyone that calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. And when the Lord moves in, it's wonderful. We're justified. We were guilty sinners before God, but when we come in, put our faith in Jesus Christ, and we come before God clad in the righteousness of His Son, which is imputed to us, God says, not guilty. we redeemed through the blood of the Lamb. We're not guilty. And he, he forgives our sins. We can forgive the offenses that we have between ourselves, but only God can forgive sin. And we have the forgiveness of sin. God says, as far as the east is from the west, so far have I removed your iniquities from you. I'll cast them in the depths of the sea. I'll bury them behind my back. It's marvelous that when we stand before God, He's not going to open a closet door and all that junk you don't want anybody to know anything about is going to come tumbling out. God says, I don't remember that anymore. We've been forgiven. And we've been made new. So if I'm going to name the name of Jesus, I need to be saved. There's another idea that goes with that. There has to be submission. And that is the costly part. When we submit, we are yielding to the will of the authority of Christ. 
Now, I don't know how these men, these disciples, learned these truths about Jesus. But after all, you know, they referred to themselves as disciples. They were learners. It's interesting to me, they didn't call themselves converts. The Bible doesn't tell us to go out and make converts. It says go out and make disciples. And when you make a disciple, you're enrolling them in the school of Christ. We're all learners. I don't care where you're at in your Christian pilgrimage. You may just be starting out halfway through it or near the end of it as I am. I want to tell you, we're all just learners in the Christian faith. We're disciples of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so these disciples had been taught the demands of following Jesus Christ. Now, I don't believe in soft soap in Christianity. I don't believe in telling people, if you come to Jesus, all your problems are going to be solved. It is demanding to be a follower of Jesus Christ. There is a price that has to be paid. You know, I, I grew up in a preacher's family, so I, you know, I, I'm one of them PKs. You know, all them things I learned from the preacher's kid, or from the deacon's kids that I played with. You know, I, I was a PK. In ministry, I, I saw the demands of ministry as a child growing up. I'd seen it from Monday through Saturday night as well as on Sunday. I won't tell you, it wasn't always glamour and glory. It wasn't very nice when the telephone rang at midnight, 2 o'clock in the morning, Dad had to get up and leave. Some of that stuff kept me out of the ministry a long time. I didn't know if I wanted to pay that price or not. But you know, it's a price for me to follow Jesus. Could I remind you of what Jesus said if we're going to be his disciples? So don't get mad at me. If you get mad at somebody, get mad at Jesus. In Matthew chapter 10, verse 24 and 25, he's talking to his followers. He says, a disciple is not above his master, nor his servant above his Lord. It's enough for the disciple that he be as his master and the servant as his Lord. So he reminds us we're going to be like him. And then in Luke chapter 9 and verse 23, he says, If any man will come after me, let him deny himself. Do we really hear that? Denying self and self-denial are not the same thing. Some of us would like to lose weight, and we, we do these things they call diets. And we deny ourselves certain foods. And for a period of time, we see our waistline go down a little bit. A guy told me the other day, he said, what you eat in private shows in public. You know, it, uh, it's interesting, but uh, we practice self-denial. But Jesus goes even further. He says, I'm not asking you to practice self-denial. I'm asking you to deny self. The hardest person that you ever have to say no to is yourself. The hardest person to deny is the very things on the inside of you that you want to do the most, and you have to say no to it. Jesus says, if any man would come after me, let him deny himself. And the positive is take up a cross, which is representative of what God wants you to do, the purpose and plan that he has for your life. And he says, follow me. So I want to tell you, if you're going to follow Jesus and you're going to walk as His disciple and do what you want to do, there is a cost involved. There's sometimes you're going to have to say no to family. There, there's sometimes you're going to have to say no to friends. And you're going to have to change your schedule a little bit to make yourself available to do what Jesus Christ wants you to do. Down through the years, as a pastor, there have been many Sundays that there are things that I would like to have done, but in order to serve the Lord, I had other responsibilities. So you know, it, it demands 
I have to give Jesus the supreme place. Jesus was very stringent. He says, if any man loves father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, and his own life more than me, he cannot be my disciple. Jesus Christ says, if you're going to follow me, I demand the supreme place in your life. I demand the lordship of your life. Now, as harsh as that sounds, for those of us who are walking with the Lord, you've already discovered that the most joyful place in life and the most fulfilling place in life is when you're under the lordship of Christ doing what the Lord has directed you to do and carrying out the things that He has entrusted into your hands. It's a wonderful thing to live under His lordship. Jesus Christ has a better plan from your life than you could ever, ever dream of yourself. If you'd asked my wife and me back when she was 20 and I was 18 and we had just married, what our life was going to unfold like, neither one of us would ever say anything about ministry. That was the farthest thing from our minds. And 15 years later, it was still far from our minds. But it has been amazing to see what God has let us do down through the years as we've walked with Him. So you know He says... You've got to follow me. You've got to take up your cross. You've got to follow me. A lot of people did that. Can you imagine Peter and Andrew sitting in a boat, casting a net into the sea? Jesus walked by and said, follow me. And they left their nets and followed Jesus. Or James and John were sitting in a boat with their father mending their nets. Jesus said, follow me. And they left the boat and their father and followed Jesus. An itinerant preacher. He walked by and Matthew Levi was setting out the receipt of customs. He, he was a tax collector and he made his money by extortion. Jesus said, follow me. Matthew left it all and followed Jesus. You know, Jesus wants us to surrender to him. Let him be Lord of our life. Has anybody ever looked at your life and thought of Jesus? Anybody ever come up to you and said, you must be a Christian? And I want to be just like you. In your home, does your family see Jesus? On your job, Do people see Jesus in you? Among your friends, do they see Jesus? Well, they should. Because we name the name of Christ. Saved, submission, serving. It's only logical that if we understand the Lord's love for us, the price He paid for us, that we're not our own, we've been bought with a price, then His love constrains us to serve Him. Jesus gave the best example of serving in the upper room. You know that story the last night of His life that they gathered for the Passover and uh, Jesus rose from the table, girded Himself with a towel, took a basin of water and washed those disciples' feet. That's a menial task, wasn't it? Jesus used that as a teaching example to tell them. said, I've set an example before you that you should do as I do. You're to serve one another by love. It is the normal thing in a Christian's life to want to serve. And these, these disciples' life was interesting. 
<clears throat> Undoubtedly, they knew the Great Commission. In our church, it's kind of become the Great Suggestion, hasn't it? During my pastoral days, we were into all this stuff about writing purpose statements and all those kind of things for the church. And I always just thought to myself, Jesus gave us the best one there is. Jesus said, I want you to go. Hey, that's hard for us Christians, is it not? Because in the church we say, you come, we've got the message, we'll tell you about Jesus, you come. Jesus says to us to go. Can you imagine these, these disciples had left Jerusalem, they were up in strange territory, up in Felicia and in Cyprus and up in Antioch. And all they were doing was talking about Jesus. Everybody hated to see him coming. They're kind of like the Jehovah Witness coming to your door. I hate to see him coming, don't you? They're going to hogtie you to give you a piece of literature. You know, they've got to make them points in heaven so they can get up there. After all, there's just going to be 144,000 people in heaven that's going to be Jehovah Witnesses. The Lord told us to go. And he says, as you go, make disciples. Make disciples. Enroll them in the school of Christ. If I had my ministry to go over and know what I do today, I would spend my whole time in discipling. I did some of that ministry, and it paid real dividends. And one I like to brag about is one young lady I, dis- I discipled down through my ministry today is the children's minister at First Baptist Church in Hendersonville. The Lord let me play a part in her life through discipling, one-on-one taking the things of Jesus and then sell them in another life. But Jesus said, you go and make disciples. Enroll them in the school of Christ. And he said, you're to baptize them. Now, you know, we Baptists are big on baptizing, right? I'm going to tell you, last time I baptized, I thought, this is the last time I'm doing this. I, I had a rather hefty young lady to baptize, and she just about baptized me. And uh, I'm going to tell you. But, you know, in the Baptist faith, we, we believe in, in putting you under. And we believe in holding you under till you say tithe. <laughs> but you know, when, you're, when you make a disciple and they're baptized, they're preaching a sermon without saying a word. When you went through the baptismal waters, you were preaching. You were saying that in my life, a death, burial, and resurrection has taken place. The old man has died. We're burying him today, and we're being raised to walk in newness of life. Jesus said, go make those disciples and baptize them. I wish we was baptizing every Sunday, don't you? When I graduated seminary, I had to go to Jacksonville, Florida. And in that church at that time, that church baptized every Sunday. That's not amazing. Hey, you, you know, in your married life, the most exciting time is when babies are coming, right? There ain't nothing like the time when those little ones are arriving. And the same thing's true in the church. If you want excitement, it's when they're birthed into the kingdom. That's where the joy comes from. But he said, I want you to go. I want you to make disciples. And then he says, I want you to teach them. We all need to be taught. We need to be taught the truths of the gospel. That needs to begin at home. Mom and dad and the children. And thank God for those people that invest their lives in us, teaching us down through the years. I, I couldn't name the people that have been so instrumental in my own life. I can remember years ago at Craven Street Westwood Church. Now, my grandfather pastored that church for 30, 32 years. But I can remember as a child being in a, what we call the card class. 
Ms. Mitchell had a big old card with a picture on the front of it, and she'd show that card, and she taught us about Jesus. And I remember Mrs. Baker, that she staked her lives enough, and down through the years, others within the church that took time, men that taught me in RAs, and invested their time and their knowledge in me. And having the privilege of going to Bible college and sitting under wonderful instructors in seminary. You know, we have this wonderful privilege of teaching. Teaching them the things of Jesus. We, we need to, to do that. Uh, Paul told Timothy, he said, I want you to find some faithful men whom you can teach the truth that will teach it to other men also. So, you know, we are to be serving. Now, these men, obviously, they, were, they weren't preachers like I'm doing today. But they were proclaimers of the gospel. They were telling the good news. They were witnesses to the Lord Jesus Christ. They, Paul and Barnabas were teachers there. Barnabas was an encourager. There, there's a multitude of ways that we can serve the Lord Jesus with our talents. And, and your service through the local church is needed. And it is valuable because, you know, you have a wonderful pastor, but he can't do it all. Charlie's limited. He's just one person. He just has the same number of hours that you do. I, I mean, most churches expect us preachers to, you know, go day and night. But that's where you come in as we serve the Lord with our lives. Christian. I guess my question to you is, Can you and I, without reservation, call ourselves Christians? Saved. Do you know that you know that you know that you know you're saved? If you used to die today and went up to heaven and the Lord asked you why he ought to let you in, what would you tell him? You know, if you're here today and never accepted Jesus, this would be a wonderful time. It would be the starting of a new life for you. We admit we're sinners. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and confess Him as Lord. Most of you have already done that. And it might be today that You've kind of become lax in your life. And you just need to renew that commitment to the Lord. I want to give you that opportunity. You can either come and bow in the altar or I'll stand down here and you can come shake my hand or your associate pastor over here. Either one. But maybe, maybe the Lord sent me here today for you. I know my words are broken and my thoughts are. But I've learned that the Lord could even use broken vessels. So maybe. Maybe the message was for you. And you need to do that today. I wonder if our ladies would just come and play me an invitation hymn. I'm going to ask you to stand with me. Heads bowed, eyes closed. As they play, and if you feel the need to respond to the Lord, you're not responding to me, you're responding to the Lord. If you feel the need to do that, I invite you to come.
Lord, I thank you for the privilege of sharing with these folk, and I pray that you'll take my broken thoughts and in some way let it strike their ears and their heart. And if there's need within us to accept you as Savior or renew our commitment today, give us the grace to do that. And Father, I thank you for hearing and answering in Jesus' name. Amen. I wonder today, would there be one that comes as the latest place?